Hello everyone, it's awesome to see you on this beautiful Sunday. Uh, today we are going to uh, take a break from our normal Bible study through the book of John, and we're going to spend a couple weeks here talking about church and uh, community and community groups and what the church is supposed to uh, look like and be like. So uh, today's Bible study is called A Divine Community. And we're going to be looking in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So uh, if you guys would join me in praying as we get started, um, here we go. Jesus, I thank you for your love for us, that you would die upon the cross uh, to forgive us our sins, that you would bear the punishment that we deserved. Uh, you didn't deserve any of it. You lived a perfect, holy life. You are perfect and holy, and uh, yet you freely sacrificed your own life for us, and we are eternally grateful. And Lord, we by faith, we grab a hold of that life, and uh, we ask that you would pour it through us and into us, and uh, Lord, make us like you. I pray by, by your Spirit that you would help us to understand what your Word would say to us today, and that you would apply it into our lives. I pray that we would never look at church the same. I pray that we would never look at people the same after what we look at today and what your word has to say to us today. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, our children and uh, the joy that they bring to our hearts. Please uh, lead every single one of them to know you and to follow you uh, with all their heart and not follow after the ways of this world, but to follow you. And we pray for all those who are sick and and uh, hurting right now, or, or even afraid. And we pray that you would be our um, healer, you would be everything that we need, and you would take care of those people we love and care for. In uh, Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at what a relationship with God's family looks like today, um, a divine community. And as you guys know, we had a fairly big announcement last week that uh, our church building is not going to work out long term for us. Uh, the, the church building that we've been uh, leasing for, I don't know, five, five or six years now, um, it's, it's not the right size. It's not really in the right location. And uh, anyway, that church building, we've decided to go ahead and let the lease go on it. And uh, uh, so thinking about that, and after we made that announcement, I thought it was good for us to talk about church and what that means, because I've gotten a lot of questions of what, what does this mean for the church? And, and uh, so as you guys know, church is not a building, obviously, and it's not an event that we attend, okay? Church is a family. Church is a family. And um, families... Uh, you know, you may go to a family reunion that's kind of big, but in general, family units are small groups of people, small communities that share love and, and a lot in common, share everything in common, really. And that's what we think of when we think of a family. So I want us to get that definition really clear. Church is not an event, and it is not a building. Church is a family. And we're going to be talking a lot about maybe some small group communities or small groups or large groups or things like that. Um, and if you think about it, that's really what the world needs right now. Um, 
they large groups are you know taboo not you know everyone's thinking that we should probably not be in large groups because of the coronavirus and all that and what's really interesting is this is kind of what the church was designed to be is these small communities of of God's family um so that's what we're going to be talking about so the first thing i want to say is that christianity is not trying to live for god but it's god's life being pressed out through us being a christian does not mean you believe certain things or you do certain things being a christian means the very life of christ jesus is in you and every day it is being pressed out of you leaking out do you remember those play-doh things where you'd squish them and the play-doh would come out in the fun um shape those were always really fun well that's kind of what we are supposed to be as christians when we are pressed by trials or tribulations or anything we extrude the life of jesus the life of jesus comes out so let's think about what the life of jesus looked like when Jesus was here on the earth, what did he do? Well, when Jesus was on the earth, he cared all about relationships. Relationships, relationships, relationships. Basically, three different relationships were all that en encompassed his life. The first was his abiding relationship with his father. He he spent time with his father. He connected with his father. He he uh, got up early in the morning, he would pray, and he would spend time in his Father's Word. And that relationship, trusting his Father, uh, was a very big relationship in Jesus' life. The second relationship that Jesus had was connecting with his disciples. That became his family here on the earth. Jesus spent much time with his disciples. He would he would sleep with, you know, sleep, you know, camp with them and, and journey with them and go places and do things. And he was always with his disciples. And uh, that kind of living life together was really, really important for Jesus. And that's what, a bit of what we're going to be talking about today. The third relationship that Jesus had was with the world, it was with people who didn't yet believe in God or follow God. And his relationship with them was he was sharing truth with them. He was sharing what they needed to hear, what, what the world needed to hear, that, that they were sinners and, and that he was come to save them. And we take those three relationships, an abiding relationship with the Father, a connecting relationship with other disciples, and a sharing relationship with the world, and we can see that's what his life looked like. And so if Christianity, if me being a Christian, is that his life is supposed to be pressed out through me, then that's what my relationship or that's what my life is supposed to look like as well. The same three relationships. So you should be able to look at my life and see abiding with the Father, spending time with Him. And then secondly, connecting with other disciples. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And then thirdly, sharing with the world, uh, being bold and, and evangelistic and spent, uh, sharing the good news with people who need to hear it. That's what our life should look like. So now we get to our text for today, what we're going to be studying. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. Let's read it. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, 
in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together. See that word, together? That's an important one. And had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them all, among all, as anyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So what we just read there is a text that that describes with the early church, the very first church, right after Jesus, what it looked like. And it gives us a glimpse of community in its purest form. It's not a uh, program. It's not a building. It's not a structured thing that people were doing. It was a very fluid thing. It was about people and it was about relationships and it was about loving and providing for each other and doing a lot of one another things that we're going to talk about in a minute. So the church being the church uh, had nothing to do with gathering in a building. It was living the life of this divine community where there was constantly a connection happening between one person and another. We live in, in 2020 in Colorado and in all of this world, we live in a very individualistic society. Individualistic means we focus on ourselves and uh, we really like being by ourselves and we kind of generally have this idea that we don't need other people That we can either go up into the mountains and be mountain men that live on our own alone. Or we can uh, just live in our house and kind of isolate and separate from other people. But that is never what community or, or society or God's world was designed to be. We were never designed to live alone, operate alone, or be alone. We were made incomplete. We need each other. And you actually cannot be a Christian that is honoring God and living the life you were called to live on your own. It's not about just you. Or, or you can't do it also just on Sundays. Let's say you're a Christian and you go to church on Sunday. And on Sunday, man, you are connecting with people. You're hugging people. You are, you are just the, 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 the light of the party and everybody loves seeing you. But all throughout the week, you are thinking just of yourself. You are, you are not really engaged in the community that God intends for you. You can't just be a Christian on Sundays, and you can't just be a Christian by yourself. Okay, This is not optional, this community thing, connecting with other disciples. Jesus did it, and look at the people that he chose. They were not perfect. They were not easy. One of them betrayed him to death, and you know there's a whole lot of issues with the disciples, but Jesus still was committed to these relationships. This is a necessity for God's kingdom here on this earth. So why, though, is community with other believers so important? We're going to learn today three truths that we're going to talk about. Why community is so important. You know, community has basically been expressed over the past 2,000 years in two ways, uh, large groups and small groups. And both of them work. Both of them have different dynamics. 
Um, but generally, small groups is where you find the most thorough uh, and robust um, uh, versions of this community is, is when a smallish group, I'm not going to even put a number on it, uh, gets together and, and loves one another and does the things that we're going to learn right now that a community, a divine community, will do. So the first thing we're going to learn about God's community, about why community is so important for believers, why churches, is number one, we need others to grow in intimacy with God. We need others to grow in relation in intimacy with God. Contrary to maybe popular belief, your intimacy with God doesn't grow the most when you're spending time with Him alone in the Bible. It actually is greatly helped and increased when we are spending time together. In our text, it said that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Those are all the different activities that the church was doing. They were spent, the apostles were teaching, they were uh, spending time together, um, sharing each other's needs and getting to know each other as fellowship. They were breaking bread, eating together, eating meals together, that was important, and praying together. Those, that was the activity of the church. And it says here that they were devoted to this. They were continued steadfastly, completely committed and devoted to doing this life together. And what happened is it deepened their relationship with God. Um, there's a two-word phrase that we find in the New Testament, uh, and it's over 40 times, and almost every author in the New Testament uses this two-word phrase. And this two-word phrase is one another. And um, this one another, all the one another's that you see in the New Testament... Uh, they are describing what our relationships within God's family are supposed to look like. God has a design for his family. He's got a plan. He's a great father for his family, and he's got this plan. And so he's got all these one another's listed in the New Testament. And as we look at them, it, it shows us what the family is supposed to look like. Number one, it, I'm going to list a few of them here for you. Love one another. You heard that one, right? You probably could guess that that's a, one of these commands. Love one another. Honor one another. Considering others in this family as better than yourself or more important than yourself or their needs are more important than your needs. Forgiving one another. Teaching one another. Discipling one another. Serve one another. Be reconciled. Living at peace with one another. These are all commands. These are all descriptions of the way God wants his family to look. Maybe very idealistic, but that is his plan. And the thing is, living out these statements to, to the people in our church and to the people in God's family is not natural. It is not easy. Just like maybe even loving your own family is not easy all the time. This kind of one another life is only possible as the life of Jesus flows, overflows out of us or is pressed out from our hearts. It must be that. It's the only way this can work. These one another commands are too hard for us to do as mere men. We need God's power. We need God's grace. 
We need God's Holy Spirit in giving us power and giving us wisdom and giving us love, giving us the ability to honor and forgive and teach and disciple and all these gifts that the Holy Spirit can give us. He's We need it and we can't do it without him. So uh, know that I understand that. it's I'm not calling you to do something in your own strength. This is God's plan and we need God's strength to do God's plan. I'm going to make a statement right now. God can use all the relationships in my life and in my church to deepen my intimacy with him. I'm going to read that again. God can use all the relationships in my life and in my church to deepen my intimacy with him. That word all is tricky because that means that he can use and he does use the healthy relationships in my church and in my life. And he can use the unhealthy relationships, the relationships that I feel like are broken, pointless, painful. He uses all of those. The good relationships, the healthy ones, he uses to build up his family, right? Um, Healthy relationships have a great uh, building effect in our lives. Maybe, you know, when someone is just uh, a joy to be around and they're always reminding you about the goodness of Jesus and the and to trust in the Lord. Those are great people to be around and easy to have a good relationship with them and it builds us up. But sometimes there's unhealthy relationships, relationships that have sin, you know, involved, conflict, constantly arguing or fighting or anything that really is uncomfortable or painful. And what's interesting is we find a lot of these relationships at church. Yeah. And uh, you you know I'm right, because uh, how many people have you heard saying, well, this church, I'm not going to go there because these people do this, and this relationship is hurt, and this person over here I don't like. And uh, and so you, you, you come across many, many Christians that have uh, fractured relationships at a certain church, so much so that they have left church altogether, or they're constantly finding a different church. Uh, things like that. We need to understand this principle that God can use all the relationships in my life to deepen my intimacy with him. These unhealthy relationships, we got to talk about it, okay? They deepen our relationship with him. Um, And it's not easy because it's easy to make excuses and it's easy to check out and it's easy to run out the back door. You know, it's easy to say they're selfish, they're mean, they're jerks, they're bullies. They did something hurtful. There's no way that I can be a right relationship with them after dot, 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 whatever it is. But we need to filter our thoughts through this truth that we're learning right now, that God can use all relationships, even the bad ones, to deepen our intimacy with him. I'm going to read a quote by Roy Hessian says, again and again, we see that the thing in us that reacts so sharply to others' selfishness and pride is simply our own selfishness and pride. And that does not mean that we have to accept another's selfishness as God's will for them, but we do need to accept it as God's will for us. You see, every person in your life was placed in your life by God. It's not a mistake. And they are designed to deepen your relationship 
with him. Now, if they have done something to offend you or if they've sinned against you and they won't repent, uh, you don't have to accept that that selfishness that, that they did was God's will, that, that he wanted them to do that. But we do need to understand that God put you in the midst of that car crash so that you could know him better and maybe even be a light to a person who's in a car crash. Be, be a, a voice of love and compassion and forgiveness. It is a, it is a kind of a test we can use. Um, it's no use to pretend that we are broken before God if we're not broken in our attitude with other people who are probably broken. The test is, are, are we patient and kind and loving and are, are we broken before God? We can test it by how we respond and act to people who act like broken people. We need to be in community because we need these relationships because God uses these relationships to humble us and to teach us that we have not got it all figured out yet, that we are not yet completely broken, that we are not yet perfect. We need these relationships. And so that's our first truth of the day. God can use all the relationships in my life to deepen my intimacy with him, to sense my need for him, to see him come through for me and teach me how to be loving, to supply the patience I need, the forgiveness that I need when people don't act the way maybe they should. All right, the second truth is that we need others to walk through the ups and downs in life. We need the church. We need these community groups. We need other disciples to walk with. We have moments of joy, and it's awesome to be able to celebrate those with friends. And we have moments of pain and seasons of pain, and we should never have to walk through any of these moments alone. I want to read again verses 44 and 45 there of chapter 2. And it said, um, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone who had need. So here, we don't know what happened in this early church, but we know that there was some sort of need in, in people's lives. That some people were poor and didn't have enough money and weren't, weren't able to go along. And so... Um, the whole community recognized this need, and they met the need. The whole community met that need because of love, in love. They didn't say to one another, oh, good luck with that, and pat them on the back on their way out the door. Um, they didn't say, bless your heart. They didn't say, go tell the pastor and see if he can do it. Or they didn't say, I'll pray for you. This community was so surrendered to God that they didn't even look at their own possessions as their own. They thought everything belonged to God. They thought everything was His, and the people around them were God's will. It was their responsibility to take care of these people. So these people in the early church, they started selling and they started sharing all their stuff to meet the need of one another in love. They didn't think, man, this is someone else's responsibility. This is the church's responsibility. But they, they didn't think of the church as an organization. They thought of themselves as the church. 
It's our responsibility to care for one another. And this is not just about financial needs or about food or shelter. We got we to gotta take responsibility for the needs of each other. How about sitting with someone while they're in a hospital, while they're sick and providing meals for them? You know, sending a text message just for someone so that they have someone that they know is thinking for them and praying for them. You know, take, taking someone out to lunch who you want to get to know and just listening to their life and what's going on with them. You know, calling people. Phone calls are great. Just give them a call. Say, hey, I was thinking about you. Just wanted to see how you're doing. You know, uh, financial needs can obviously be a way that we meet people's needs. But think about also emotional needs and spiritual needs. These are all ways that we can take responsibility uh, to walk with each other in the ups and downs of life. We should never say it's the government's responsibility to do this or provide for that. When we have a church that has unlimited resources from Jesus to meet the needs of our church. So I got to ask you this question, a real serious question. You ready? Are you ready and excited to meet the needs in this body that God has put you in? Are you ready and excited to serve one another, to love one another, to meet the needs there's a couple of evaluation questions we can use. Am, am I meeting needs within the body of Christ that I'm a part of? Do I even care? Can you honestly say that you care about the needs of others in this family? Nobody wants to walk through their lives alone. Nobody wants to walk through the ups and the downs alone. And do you care? Number two. Am I using my gifts to serve the body of Christ? 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8-10 through 10 says that each one of you has been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. Each one of you. God chose that he would give you a gift. And that the purpose of that is so that you could love and serve his body with the gift he gave you. So the question, am I using my gift to serve the body of Christ? Let me read that text to you so you know what I'm talking about. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. There's one of those one another phrases. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So Peter says, man, we are just one big loving family, so love each other, be hospitable, care about each other, cover over those sins, forgive people, and then think about what's the gift that God gave you by his grace that you didn't earn, something that God has done in your life, and minister it or serve the church, serve the people with your gift. Every believer has a free gift from God. And it should and can be used to strengthen this family that we're in right now. Are we passionate about that? Are we using our gift to serve and to strengthen this family each day, every day, not on Sundays? See, you can't do these one another things on just Sundays, at Sunday on, at church on Sunday. That is not it. Loving one another, serving one another, and administering your gift is an all-day, everyday life decision. 
not just a Sunday thing. Sunday may provide some opportunities, but really we cannot even do all that is required of us by these one another commands on Sunday. It must be done as a family living and abiding together, spending time together. So the second uh, truth that we learned here is we need others to walk through these ups and downs of life. And the third uh, thing we need to accomp- uh, we need to learn here is that uh, we need the church to accomplish the mission. We need the church to accomplish the mission. The only way that we can accomplish this global mission that we have, that Jesus gave to us, is with the church. The church is a group, a family, a community with one goal, his goal. It's not about our church getting bigger. It's not about our church increasing. He says the goal is to is to make disciples and bring his kingdom to this world. It's his plan to use his family as a witness to this world to pour love and grace and gifts into his family, the church, to make this goal happen. John thirteen thirty five says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. People are going to be looking at the family relationships that we are building in, in this church. And it is going to be a testimony to the world that they will see uh, the reality of Jesus in, in our family. That we are forgiving, that we are loving, that we have all the attributes that Jesus had. That we have those relationships that Jesus had building in our lives. And they will see that Jesus can make a difference. Because we are a bunch of broken, messed up people just like them. And so if God can take a messed up group of people like us, and he can create this dynamic, loving community that cares for one another, then he can do it with anyone. I'm going to close by saying uh, little kids go through a couple phases as they're, as they're babies. You know, I love seeing uh, uh, Maya this morning um, crying uh, during worship. You know how during worship she kind of uh, lost, lost her you know, calmness, and she started crying, right? And, and as I'm thinking about little kids, they go through a couple phases in their life. The first phase is the phase where they are always thinking, I need you, help me, wah! And in that phase, you know, nobody really sleeps. But in this phase, it's like little kids, they just know that they're humble and they need mom and dad. They need them all the time. If they're not around, they're having a rough time. Amaya reminded me of that this morning. It was beautiful. And um, as they get a little older, kids enter this second phase. And this second phase is the I can do this all by myself phase. You say, can I help you? And they say, no, I don't want your help. I'm going to do this. I can do this. And uh, generally, they don't succeed at very much in that. But um, I see these two phases a lot in the family of God as well. God's children. I find that many of them are actually living today in that second phase where they're thinking, I don't need anybody and I can do this all by myself. 
We think we can live our life the way we want to, on our own, in our own house, with our own family, doing our own things. We have our own priorities. Thinking, I need to work through this. I need to do this on my own. I can get through it on my own. And if that is my attitude, the problem is I am missing out on a key aspect of following Jesus. And that is that he never designed my life to work that way. He has given me a very clear design, and it is his family needs to be loving one another, serving one another, and honoring one another, and spending time with one another. Am I going to do that, or am I going to keep isolating myself? Relationships with his family are a priority for him. Jesus showed us that in, in his time on earth, he invested in his disciples. He spent time with them, his family. He loved, and he loved them till the end. And when we decide we're going to follow him and we're going to humbly trust him, he pours that same life into us and presses it out through our lives as well. So, you need to take some time to ask the Lord, are you getting involved in his family? Are you serving his family? Are you a part, a living part of his family? Is his life being pressed out through you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your mercy that though we do things wrong time after time after time again, we are allowed to repent and come back to you. And I pray that you would give us the grace to do things your way and to see your power in our life and that we would find the joy and work through the sorrowful, hurtful relationships in our church and uh, that we would see our, our, our intimacy with you grow and we would have a family that loves us every day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, everyone. Hope to see you soon. Bye now.